to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. We are actually starting a new series today. I'll share with you a little bit about that in just a moment. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking, even as we're just opening up the Bible today, uh, that, that I hope that we never just get kind of complacent when it comes to God's Word. That, that when we come to the, the Scripture specifically, that, that we don't have what I call a meh mentality. You know, where it's just meh. Um, you know, there's a scripture that says this, that we are to eagerly desire the, the pure milk of the word. As newborn babes desire uh, natural milk, that we should desire God's word, that we would grow up through the word. Now, I can relate to that personally because I've had some babies in my house. Some of you know uh, how that is to have some babies that eagerly desire the milk. You know what I'm saying? Or all the moms out in the mom's room, y'all know what I'm saying, right? And uh, if, you're de- if you don't have a kid, you're like, please, I don't like this illustration. Well, it's from the Bible, okay? But uh, there is, when they are hungry, there, how many of you know there's nothing that will satisfy them but the milk, right? And uh, with my babies, when they have cried, I'm like, here, sweetheart, you handle it. I got nothing for them, okay? And uh, because they want the milk. And that's the, the same way that we should be when it comes to God's Word. Every time we come to God's Word, it's not just, meh, another week, another message, another thought. Uh, that it's not even Justin speaking or Nate speaking or any other person speaking. But ultimately, we're going, God, I want to hear from you. And uh, I've got this hunger in my heart that won't be satisfied. Amen? And And uh, so I love that hunger. It's amazing. When we have hunger in our hearts, God always speaks to us. And so I just want to encourage you with that today. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 4, and I'm going to read a a lengthy passage today, if that's okay. John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1, I think, to 29. John chapter 1, verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 29. And uh, it says this, therefore... When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well." It was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again." 
But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Didn't we have an awesome time of worship this morning? It's awesome. That was awesome. Sorry. Distracted. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship, worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Skip down to verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, thank you that your word is life-giving. And Father, we pray right now over these next moments, God, that as we come around your word, Lord, that you would speak to us today. God, we are hungry to hear from you. Lord, my words can't change anything. But Lord, thank you that one word from you can change everything. And so we ask you to do that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I told you we're starting a new series today, and the title of this, this series actually comes right out of that passage that I just read. We're calling it, Come and See. Come and See. And if you're a note taker and you want a subtitle for the series as a whole, here's a, a subtitle for you, The Attractive Power of Life in the Kingdom. I love that. I, you should have seen the subtitles that didn't make the cut, but I love that Sub, that's just a solid subtitle, The Attractive Power of Life in the Kingdom. And uh, because when we live in the kingdom of God, there is something in our lives that should become attractive to others. Amen? And, uh, you know, the fact is that everybody wants attraction. Everybody thinks about attraction. People use attraction. We're all familiar with the concept of attraction. And uh, it, Apple uses it every time they launch a new uh, iPhone, and uh, they show these sleek lines, and they put the, you know, the music just right so that you watch it, and you're like, if I don't have that phone, my life is worthless, right? And except for I know there's some Android users, I'm sorry, but... Uh, but they use attraction. They're not just selling the phone, it's this, they're, they're tapping into the power of attraction, and uh, you probably have also experienced it, maybe uh, a restaurant, you see a restaurant that is just, you know, it, it just looks like a great restaurant. You look in from outside, and the, the lighting is just perfect. Um, you know, the vibe just feels, you know, perfect, and you look in, and you're like, 
I want to be there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, married couples with kids, you're like, yes, children, stay outside. We're going in. We are drawn in by the power of attraction. And I'll never forget the first time I experienced the, the, the power of attraction personally. It happened at the skating rink in, um, in 1994. And uh, I, I remember we, I was there with my brother. My grandmother had taken us, my brother and my cousin. We were there at the skating rink. And uh, we were skating around. And then came that dreaded moment called couple skate. Who, who remembers couple skate? When you, you skate off and, you know, it's like, I, I actually didn't want to skate. I want to get some nachos anyway. So, And so I remember us standing over there. And suddenly across the rink, there's this shadow of a person coming towards us, and as we got closer, I realized uh, this was a girl that I had seen out on the rink earlier, and she is headed our way, headed our way, and I, I, this was a, a breakthrough moment uh, for, for all of us, and we're all sitting there. <sighs> I think I was getting ready to go into seventh grade. I had my No Fear shirt on, and who knows what I'm talking about. The, the one thing from the 90s that has not yet made a comeback, no fear shirt, so maybe invest in no fear, I don't know, but uh, I, I remember I was standing there, and she started coming towards us, and we're all looking, going, you know, is she coming to me? And Eddie, you want to guess who she came to? This guy, the guy that's telling the story. My brother's not telling the story today. She came up to me. She extended her hand, and I took her hand and went out on the... And we skated around, and, uh, and years later, there was some sort of ugly rumor my brother and cousin tried to start that my grandmother had actually put her up to it, but how many of you know haters are going to hate, right? <laughs> and, uh, but it was, yeah, it was the moment that I experienced the power of attraction, and uh, that's what we're talking about today, the, the power of attraction, and, and I don't, I'm not talking about physical attraction I'm actually talking about something much deeper than that. In fact, the Bible tells us in many places it contrasts the difference between physical attraction and a deeper spiritual attraction. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 of Jesus that there was nothing about his appearance that would make you be drawn to him. It was not about his physical appearance. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says that we are not to let our our beauty be merely in the outer beauty. Nothing wrong with the outer beauty, but how many of you know you can have some outer beauty and lack some inner beauty? Some of you are like, yeah, I dated that person. Yes, I know. And um, so we're talking about something much deeper than that. We're talking about the life of Jesus welling up within us, the work of the Holy Spirit that becomes magnetic to people around us that draws people in to us, that makes people say about us, I don't know what it is they have. I'm, I don't even agree with all of their views, but I just find myself drawn to that person. And, and I believe that that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants us to become magnetic to the world around us. He wants to give us the, the power of attraction. That, that, that we would not draw people to ourselves, but that they would be drawn to Jesus in us. That we would be, as it were, the, the storefront, 
that they would look through to see life in the kingdom of God, that they would look through our lives and they would go, I I want what you have. I want to experience that kind of life, that kind of fulfillment. That is the power of attraction. And here in John chapter 4, we see the power of attraction on, on full release. It starts off Jesus having a conversation with one person, with one woman. And by the end of the chapter, I didn't read it, but by the end of the chapter, the Bible says that many people came out. Many people were following Jesus and said, I believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. They were drawn into the life in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about some practices of attraction, some things that will make us or that should make us attractive to the world around us. And so today I want to ask you, what was it that happened in this story that caused people to be attracted to Jesus? What was it that actually took place in this story that resulted in so many people wanting to follow Jesus? And here's what I I want to propose to you today. The, The attraction was this, that Jesus had a conversation I know it's an underwhelming observation, but perhaps so obvious that we can miss the importance of it, that Jesus actually had a conversation. You know, oftentimes we talk about all kinds of aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. We talk about his, his preaching ministry. We talk about his discipling ministry. We talk about his signs and wonders and miracles, and so we should. All of those things are important. But as one commentator on this passage noted, that ultimately Jesus' ministry, if it is nothing else at all, it is personal. Jesus cared about people, and, and here we see it because Jesus is having a conversation. And I believe that if we're going to be the people that God is calling us as a community to be in this city, that we need to be people that would recognize the power of a conversation, of having significant life-giving conversations. You see, the the gospel of Jesus is is just that. It's gospel. It's good news. That actually has to be spoken. It has to be spoken. So in order to share the gospel with people, that means that we actually have to talk to people, right? And, and that has always been the case, but I think it's actually a, a more imminent challenge now, perhaps, than ever. One reason is simply because of the decline of community in our day and age. Robert Putnam, in his book in, uh, I think it was in the late 80s, the, the title of the book is Bowling Alone, and he talked about the collapse of community, not even as a follower of Jesus, but just a cultural observer. He notes the the collapse of, uh, of environments where people built relationships with one another. He, he noted that it used to be 50, 60 years ago, uh, people would sit on the front porch, right? Anybody remember that? Sit on the front porch. Um, it's this thing that goes at the front of the house, and you can sit on it, and then people walk by, and you can talk to them. It's a crazy thing. And, uh, but people would have conversations on the front porch, but now they no longer or on the front porch, now everybody's moved to the backyard, right? And uh, nothing wrong with that, 
but, but it decreases the opportunity for conversation, social interaction. It used to be that people would go to the community pool, and now people have a home pool. Nothing wrong with that again, but it's all of these opportunities for conversation. And he notes that because of that decline in community, that the fabric of our culture is strained simply because people no longer have conversations. There's even been statistics recently that have said that uh, the younger generation, millennials, are, are having, and warning PG-13 for a moment, having less sex than any generation before, which at first we'd hear that and go, yeah, that's awesome, good, you know. But if you dig a little deeper, part of the reason behind that they're saying is because they actually no longer know how to flirt, right? And um, <laughs> some of y'all looking at one another here, I don't know what's going on, but like, it, how, how many of you know in order to build a relationship, you actually have to have a conversation? Women, that's a good time to say amen, right? And uh, so, we live in this culture where there is a lack of, of conversation, and I believe if there's ever a moment that we as followers of Jesus have the potential to make an impact through conversations, I believe now is the moment. Now, I want to encourage you, never underestimate the impact of a conversation to change a person's life. Think with me for just a moment about the conversational ministry of Jesus. Think about uh, Jesus, uh, the, the words that we often talk about, you must be born again, which is uh, an amazing truth. Where did that come from? It was out of a conversation. Jesus wasn't teaching the masses, the multitudes. He was speaking to one. He was speaking to Nicodemus, and he said, you must be born again. Do you remember the story of Peter and Jesus reinstating Peter? And I love the beautiful picture of what Jesus was doing with Peter. Jesus didn't bring Peter before a crowd and say, I think I, I, you know, I deserve a public apology. He went to, he went to Peter personally, and he made some breakfast. He had a meal. He sat down on the beach. And over that that breakfast, uh, those fish being cooked on a fire of coals, he opened up this conversation with Peter and ultimately restored Peter back to his calling, changed the course of history uh, of Peter's life and history. I, I want to tell you today, never underestimate the power of a conversation. Many of us, most of us may never stand on a platform but every single one of us have the ability day in and day out to impact people's lives for eternity through a conversation, through a conversation. And so I want to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want to just bring out a few things that I believe we need to know if we're going to become a community of conversations. How did Jesus have a conversation? If he impacted the world through conversations, how did Jesus have conversations? The first thing that I want you to see is this, that Jesus took time for conversations. He took time for conversations. Look at what the Bible says in verse chapter 6. Where was Jesus when this began to unfold? The Bible says he was sitting at the well. He was at the well. The well was the place where people would go to draw water, but it would be for us today, it was a cultural gathering place. And Jesus was tired. He had been ministering. No doubt there was more ministry awaiting Jesus ahead of him. 
But Jesus sat at the well and he made time to interact with people. Now, what would have happened? How would, have the story, how would the story have gone differently if Jesus kind of did that? I don't know you, so I'm just going to kind of like look away and pretend like I don't see you thing. You know that elevator moment? You know what I'm, y'all know what I'm talking about. You get in the elevator and you're like shoulder to shoulder with somebody. It's like, I don't see you. And I'm all for, I'm not advocating social awkwardness. Don't get in the elevator and start hugging people, okay? That would be weird. But I want you to notice that Jesus actually stopped along the way. He made time for this woman. He wasn't multitasking while he was there. What if Jesus had been like, you know what, actually, I'm just going to shoot off a few quick emails while I'm here, right? And totally ignored her. Now, I'm, again, I understand the, the pace of life that we live in, but, but that actually becomes the problem and the reason why we don't have conversations simply because we don't make time for conversations. Psychologists have developed a, a term for the condition in our world today that is called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. And it's simply this, that we are so fast-paced that we actually never have time to stop and make meaningful relationships with people. We're always doing other things. And Jesus, he no doubt had a thousand other things to do, but he actually took time. He actually stopped and noticed the person. He didn't look at her as an inconvenience to his mission and ministry. I'm not here for you. I've come to save the world. I don't have time for you. He made time for her. He noticed her on the way. Jesus practiced the ministry of availability. I believe one of the greatest things that we can do as followers of Jesus to impact the world is just to practice the ministry of availability, just to be available to talk with people, to connect with people, to build relationships with people. Maybe you're not a person that feels comfortable meeting people, introducing yourself to people. I'm going to give you a very spiritual line right now that just has the power to change your life forever. If you don't know somebody, here's what you say to them. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Just open up the conversation. And, uh, and Jesus opened up the conversation. He took initiative and he took time for people. That's what we're doing in Alpha What's Alpha all about? Part of it is simply about making space in our world to have the conversations that oftentimes we're just too busy to have, that, that we're actually making time as a discipline, as an act of obedience, as, a, as intentionality, that we're just saying, you know what, for these weeks, I'm just going to clear my calendar so that I can make time because relationships are a priority for me. And Jesus, the first thing I want you to see is Jesus took time for conversations. The second thing that I want you to see is this. Not only did Jesus take time for conversations, but number two, Jesus built bridges through establishing common ground. Jesus built bridges through establishing common ground. Notice Jesus' first line. His first line when he opens up the conversation, he doesn't say, uh, what's your view on the end times? He doesn't say, have you been washed in my blood? Now, these things, I'm not minimizing these things. I'm just saying that's not Jesus' open line, opening line. It, it, it was not, 
Uh, let's talk about the differences between the Samaritans and between the Jewish people. His opening line was, give me a drink. Now, we can hear that and go like, oh, that's kind of demanding. No, actually, Jesus was humbling himself. He was showing that although he's God, he was also human. I love this humanity of Jesus. This whole passage, it starts off saying Jesus stopped because he was tired. He was tired. He was human. Now he's thirsty. And before he reveals who he is, he, he just reveals his humanity. He just talks about something that is relatable to everyone. How many of you know everyone gets thirsty? There's probably nothing that crosses every barrier and line of difference quite like the, the need for water, physical thirst. And, and in this context, Jews and Samaritans, she even says this, what did Jews and Samaritans have to do with each other? They were radically different from one another, culturally, socially, spiritually. There was a chasm between them. In, in our day, it would have been the us and them mentality. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a very divided world today, right? And, and some of those things are genuine points of conversation, points that we need to have discussions about. But how many of you know that doesn't need to be the first point of conversation? Right? Build a bridge with somebody. Don't talk to them about who they voted for last election. I think this is better than y'all are letting on, but we need to look for ways to build bridges with people. Even if somebody, I don't know who it is in your mind that when you see them, you go, I just would not have anything to do with them. I, I would have nothing in common with them. That's who this was for Jesus. But he was stepping out, building a bridge, building a relationship through establishing common ground. I'm not saying that there's not conversations that we shouldn't have later, but, but don't open with, what's your perspective on vaccinations? <laughs> what's your... What's your dietary preference and why am I wrong? Because I don't eat the same way as you. Don't open up with that conversation. Again, I'm not minimizing personal opinions and the need for all of us to have our own opinions, but I'm simply saying this. If there's anything, don't let the work of the gospel die on the wrong hill. Don't let it die on the wrong hill. I've got opinions on stuff, and honestly, I usually withhold my opinions because I don't want to build a wall between myself and somebody else that causes them to never be able to come to Jesus simply because I like to do a certain thing. Eat bacon. Come on. Thank you. How'd you, how'd you know? You took me as a bacon eater. You, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> Here's, here's just some practical things. If you want to build relationships with people, just ask prompting questions. Here's, here's something really simple. Ask someone a question that you want them to ask you back. That's something that people that study this kind of talk about. It's like, you know, ping pong. It's like you got to serve it up and then you're going to, you, there's going to be this interchange. That's why I usually, when I'm talking to somebody that's not a believer in Jesus, I never say, so what do you do? Because then they're always going to say, and what do you do? I'm like, ah, we'll talk about that later, you know? 
And, uh, but ask somebody, hey, if you want to ask, invite somebody to Alpha, say, hey, what are you doing next week? What are you doing next week? Uh, they may tell you they have plans, but then they may say, what are you doing? You can say, actually, I'm going to this thing called Alpha. It's great. I'd love for you to come with me. And so we need to build bridges through establishing common ground. Jesus didn't talk high and lofty theology. He just talked about basic, practical things. There's some Christians that, that are uh, too lofty-minded to have any conversations with somebody that doesn't live in the church. I actually always take it as a compliment when I tell somebody I'm a pastor, and they're like, I never would have guessed. I was like, yes, mission accomplished. I don't want to be a guy that they look at me, and they're like, you obviously could do nothing else. You obviously have no valuable skills to society, so we're glad that you hug people for a living. Okay. So number three, number three, uh, lessons on conversation. If we're going to be uh, masters of conversation, the first thing that I, or the third thing I want you to hear is this, that Jesus listened to people's longings. He listened. Notice that first part. He listened to people. You know, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. As James says, so that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak. And as we're engaging people in conversation, and we're looking to have meaningful conversations, we need to listen to people. And we shouldn't just listen to people in order to get our point across. We need to listen to people to understand them. That means we need to listen for their longings. That's what Jesus was doing. He was listening to the longings of this woman's heart. You see, she had come to the well at this time, not just because she was thirsty physically. She came because she was drawing water physically, but the reason she came to the well at this time, it was the time, it was not the time when everybody else came to the well. It was the time when no one else came to the well. And the reason she did that is because she had lived this life. As she said, she'd had five husbands. The man she's with was, uh, now was not her husband. She, was the, she, she had a reputation. And, and because of that, she would no longer be able to go to the well at the same time as everybody else. And so Jesus heard her, but he didn't just hear what she was saying. He listened to the longings of her heart. She wasn't just thirsty physically. There was a longing in her heart for relationship. And when Jesus began to speak to her, he began to address not just her physical longing, but the longing of her heart. You see, every single person, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that every person has eternity set in our hearts. What is eternity? Eternity is not just about an infinite life. It's not, just a, it's not just a quantity of life. It's about a quality of life. And there's this longing in the hearts of every man and every woman around the world, whether they recognize it or not, there is a longing in their heart that can only be satisfied in Jesus. And so they may not recognize that they want Jesus, but there is a longing that if we would begin to listen to their longings, we will begin to be able to speak to them in a way that connects to their heart. I saw 
A great example of this, I was watching a video this week of uh, an evangelist named Todd White, and he was out uh, on the street at some uh, kind of bizarre uh, festival, I think, in Europe, and he was talking to people about the Lord, and he goes up to this guy who's literally dressed like the devil, horns and very bizarre looking, but he goes up to him, and his opening line wasn't, if you were to die today, where would you go? Now, I'm not saying that's not a reality that we need to be aware of, but how many of you know, if a guy's dressed like the devil, like I think we know what his answer is going to be, right? He would have been like, I'm going to hell and I'm happy about it, right? End of conversation. That's like, I mean, you can't make much more ground after that, right? So he doesn't go up and he says, if you, he doesn't say, if you were to die today, he goes up and he says, hey man, have you ever, uh, it's a weird question, but have you ever thought about doing uh, animation? And the guy was like, yeah, actually I have. Now, I don't know if this was revealed by the Holy Spirit to Todd to ask that question or if he's just like, hey, this guy is like, he's creative, okay? So we're going to go with animation. Have you ever wanted to do animation? So he asks him that, and this guy's heart just begins to open up. Why? Because it wasn't just the surface level. He was getting down to a deeper need. You know, in Alpha, we talk about the big questions of life. What are the big questions of life? It's the longings in everybody's heart. It's, it's these things, what I would call the, the identity question, which is who am I? Every person asks that question at some point in their life, right? Is that a, a point of conversation in our culture today? Who am I? The belonging question, where am I from? Who do I connect with? Who are my people? The purpose question, why am I here? The potential question, what can I do? Am I just here for no reason, or is, is there gifts, is there talents, is there abilities that are within me? And the destiny question, where am I going? And the gospel, the good news of what Jesus came to do and what he has accomplished for humanity, yes, it answers the question of where do we go when we die, but it also answers the questions of life, the longings in people's heart. And we need to learn to begin to listen to these longings so that we can pardon the pun, scratch where people are itching, right? How many of you know the church can oftentimes answer questions that nobody is asking, right? So we need to begin to listen to people. So here's just some practical encouragement. Start to listen. When you're having conversations, start to listen. Are people stressed? What's the source of that? Are people lonely? Are people frustrated in their job? Is, there, is it not becoming everything that they wanted it to be? They need to know not just that eternity is secure, but that God has a purpose for them here and now. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, answers the big questions of life. So we need to begin to listen to people in our conversations and not just listen at the surface, but listen to the longings beneath the surface. Number four, everybody still awake with me? Okay. Number four is this, very important, we can't presume. Not only did Jesus listen to their longings, but then number four, Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus spoke the truth. I love this statement, um, or this question. He says, go get your husband. What's Jesus doing? He knew, she, he, he knew that that was a probing question that would open up the conversation to a different place. So he's speaking the truth, and then he goes on to say, uh, she's, she says, I've heard about this, this Jesus, this, or she didn't say Jesus, this Messiah who is coming, and, and Jesus doesn't say, well, maybe he's around somewhere but you just got to live your truth, you know, he said. 
the one you're speaking to is him. I'm the guy, right? He was testifying of Jesus himself, right? And, and here's what I want you to understand. It's not just good enough if we want to have conversations that have eternal impact. It's not just good enough to have a nice chat. We need to build relationship. We need to invest in people. But at some point in time, you have to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to offer to humanity. I love what C.S. Lewis says about his exposure to truth through reading G.K. Chesterton. He said this, I did not know that I was le- what I was letting myself in for. He, if you know his story, he was a great, uh, great thinker, and, and it was later in life that he came to Christ, and he was reading G.K. Chesterton. He said, I did not know what I was letting myself in for. A young man, listen to this, a young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Bibles laid open, millions of surprises, uh, fine nets and stratagems. God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. What's he saying? He's saying, if you want to keep yourself away from God, you better close your ears and close your eyes. Because he says you can't be too careful what you what you read. Why is that? Because it's the power of the truth that that has the 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 power to set people free. It's not just it's not my winning personality or your winning personality that has. Don't laugh at that winning personality comment. It's it's not our personality, winning or not, that has the potential to change people's life. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. At some point, you have to say. Jesus came to give you life. You can't find satisfaction in a relationship. You can't find what you're looking for. No amount of wealth will satisfy. You need to live for something greater. Charles Spurgeon said this. I know some of us, as we think about conversations, some of us feel like, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I can talk about the Lord, if I can speak, uh, you know, share the gospel with somebody. I don't know if I can defend it. What if, they, what if they come back against me? Well, I love what Charles Spurgeon said about defending the gospel. He, he said this, speaking of the good news of Jesus, he said, the truth is like a lion. He doesn't need to be defended. He needs to be loosed. Don't worry about the, the, the truth stands on itself, stands on its own. You don't have to prop it up and defend it. If it's true, it will stand on its own. And so our job is not to defend the truth. That's why in, in Alpha, if someone has a different opinion, we're not like, well, you're wrong. Let me tell you, we're, we present the truth. The videos that we will show, these great films, they'll present the truth. And here's what the truth does. It's like a little seed that gets into the ground. The Bible says this, that the good news is like seed that just gets into the ground. Anybody ever planted a seed? Some of you. How many of you know, regardless of how great a seed is, if it never gets into the ground, it never bears fruit? You can have the best quality seed. You can have some sort of, you know, it's non-GMO. It's not Monsanto or whatever. It's the best quality seed in the world. But if it never gets in the ground, it's never going to bear fruit. But the life is in the seed, And so if we will just put the seed in the ground, if we'll just speak the truth, if we'll just be willing to testify of Jesus, the truth works for itself. One of the greatest ways we can do that is simply through 
sharing our story. You see, Jesus was a little different. He, he said, I who speak to you am he. I'm the guy. Well, uh, you're not the guy. You're not the girl, okay? He's the guy. And so our job is simply to testify to him, to just say, uh, I'm going to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Share your story. What's God done in your life? Never underestimate the power of that. Never underestimate the power of that. Number five is this. Not only did Jesus speak the truth, but he also, number five, he gave people time to process. Look at what her final statement is, or in verse 29 as she leaves, being with Jesus. She says this. She goes back to everybody else and she says, Come and see this man who's told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Notice she's not giving an exposition of how all of the signs in the Old Testament point towards Jesus and all of these things. She just, her heart's been stirred and she actually has a question. She's actually not even declared he is the Christ. She says, could he be the Christ? You see, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we feel like we've got to close the deal in the moment. We feel like, you know, we've got to sign the line. We've got to do the deal right in that moment. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus allowed people to have room to process the decision. We need to allow people you see, the gospel is a, it's a rewiring of your heart and mind. It's a seed that needs to get down into your heart. And that takes time. What we're talking about is not just fill out a card, check a box, say a prayer. What we're actually talking about is turning over control of your life to someone greater than yourself. And how many of you know that a quick decision may not be a lasting decision? Just because they make the decision in that moment doesn't mean that that's going to be a lasting decision. Jesus actually warned us about that. He talked about the parable of the, the, the sower who went out sowing seed, and some of the seeds sprung up quickly. It, it seemed to be bearing fruit, but the Bible says that it did not have a root. It didn't have the root. In other words, it didn't have the time to go deep into the soil. And, and that's part of what we do in Alpha. We are wanting to make space for people. We're, we're not forcing someone to make a decision. We're not forcing someone to sign up. And we are actually like intentionally low-key about church because it's not about church. It's about receiving the life of Jesus. How many of you know if you love Jesus, you'll start loving what he loves? If you love Jesus, you don't have to have your arm twisted to come to church. When you love Jesus, you go, man, he's changed my life. I just, I just want to be around you people. There's something in you that I want to be around. And, and now I'm the biggest advocate of church. Cut me and I bleed. I love the church and so did Jesus. But he loved people and he allowed them space to process. And I, I just want to say this as the worship team comes back up, that if we're going to be people that have great conversations with people. Don't feel like you have to close the deal in the moment. 
The powers in the gospel, the powers in the good news of Jesus, you can drop that little seed in their mind and they may go home. They may say nothing in the moment. They may go home and that little seed is in their heart and in their mind and it is just working on them and it is working on them and it's growing on them. How many of you came to Christ like that? Some of you maybe did. You were a reluctant convert as the Holy Spirit was pulling you in. God wants to use us. God wants to use us to change people's lives for eternity. He wants us to be people that go around talking about Him. But not just talking about Him, talking about what He's done in our lives. Talking about other people, listening to other people. He wants us to be people that recognize the power of attraction through great conversations. As I close this, I want you to understand that Conversations are not about employing an evangelistic tool. It's not about a tactic. Ultimately, becoming a person that engages in conversations is about recognizing it's the nature of God. You see, when you have a conversation with someone, you are actually reflecting the nature of God because God is a relational God. He cares for people. I love what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 33. It says that God came down and he spoke with Moses as a man speaks with a friend, face to face. There's a Latin phrase that's used to communicate that idea, and it's the phrase quorum deo. It means face to face. And our God is a face to face God. He's a relational God. We see this in the person of Jesus, that he didn't just send a messenger, he came himself. And the Bible says this, that we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of God. I want to ask you if you would just to stand to your feet.